Welcome back to Blue, the Blue Jacket Podcast. Today is November 17th, 2023. It is approximately 1.21. But today we got some special guests. We've got our very own chapter uh, advisor, Bryce Hatfield, and his aunt, Midge Ransom. But first, we got a little ag in the news. Um, we had a team go to dairy judging, and B-team won. Um, on that was Cohen Crowley. He got first place. Landon Oldie got third place. Greeley McMahon placed 10th. And then our A-team got third overall with Allie Williams placing eighth. And we have leadership school coming up on the 22nd. Awesome. And a little ag news that's uh, in the country. It's been reported by News Channel 5 of Tennessee that the United States had the best corn harvest on record shattering the 2016 record with 15.234 billion bushels of corn this year. Pretty amazing. With some more ag in the news just around, Argentina, which is the world's latest trade fair for agricultural machinery, took place in Hain over Germany November 12th through the 18th of 2023 for the first time in four years. The farm technology industry is, going, is undergoing changes as majority... Players work to fine-tune what they offer to potential buyers. Wow. All right. Let's cue that music before we hit the interview. I wanted to be a farmer. I wanted to get away from the rat race of the city. We represent the best in America. Our farmers and ranchers have always honored and lived with the values and traditions that make America great. Faith, family, neighbors helping neighbors, hard work, free enterprise, and independence. We can touch the spirit of America in our farm communities. And much, again, much is owed to the future farmers of America. God said I need somebody willing to get up before dawn, milk cows, work all day in the fields, milk cows again, eat supper, then go to town and stay past midnight at a meeting of the school board. So God made a farmer. FFA is giving more than a fine start to young people like yourselves by cultivating traditional values, leadership skills, and patriotism. The future farmers of America ensure the strength and vitality of our country. You guys are all doing pretty great today. Bryce, Mrs. Ransom, how are you guys doing today? Pretty We're good. Great, thanks. Awesome. Well, let's just get right into it. Mrs. Ransom, can you tell us a little bit of the history of the, the Hatfield Farms? And Well, the Hatfield Farm derived from Ransom Farm. Okay. So Bryce is a sixth generation on our farm. It started with my, as a, actually as a coal mining town in 1878, Ransomville. And Where's that at? Um, it's... Two and a half miles west, uh, east of Williamsburg, between Homewood and Williamsburg on Old Highway 50. Really? And so that was a coal mining town, which he started. He'd moved out from New York. And who, who was that? My great-grandfather. That was James Harvey Ransom. And then <clears throat> that passed to his son, uh, passed to his son, who was my father, mm -hmm. and, and then me. So during those years, it, it changed from coal mining in the early 1900s, 1906, 
Um, they brought the first Guernseys west of the Mississippi to start a dairy farm um, and had that until 1978 when we had to sell because the interstate went through the, ground, the land. Um, when my father married my mother, um, she convinced him that Herefords were better than Angus. So, so we started a Herford. So he eventually, it all became a Hereford um, breeding operation. And then, um, anyway, so let's see. Then I kind of filled in after my father died. And then uh, Bryce's dad, Scott, moved home after college and um, took over part of the farm mm -hmm. and uh, mostly focusing on the Herefords, though some of our younger generation has moved away from Herefords, but we won't get into that. So <laughs> I have a feeling we will get into that, but <laughs> eventually, <Yeah. laughs> I guess kind of let's let's break that up a little bit because you went over the you know your whole family history. So you guys were first a coal farming, well, coal mining, coal mining, yeah. coal mining in the early 1880s uh, through 1900, and it the coal mines around Williamsburg and that area were very shallow. So eventually they just petered out. So that that ended um, as a business opportunity. Mm -hmm. And then um, my great-grandfather, James Harvey, had uh, started bringing milk to a skimming station. He had to change from coal yeah. mining to something else. So he got the dairy farmers in the area, all brought their milk to be skimmed, and they skimmed it off the cream, and then they sent the skim milk back to the farms for feed for livestock. And that's kind of how the dairy part got started, yeah. yeah. And you said they were the first ones to bring... Guernseys, registered Guernseys west of the Mississippi. And what are what are Guernseys? Guernseys are beautiful, rich milk dairy cows. Okay. And they're actually on the endangered species list now. Really? Yeah. They, um, Holsteins have taken over the dairy business because of the volume of milk. Mm -hmm. But you'll still see people with Jerseys, Guernseys, um, occasionally a brown Swiss that have richer milk. But they don't usually produce quite as much. So economically, a lot of people move to Holsteins. So, yeah. Okay. So he brought over these cows and he started the the kind of getting into the dairy section and then what so that lasted um through the 30s 40s 50s 60s that lasted uh -huh. a long time my father actually he was a true farmer that's where he went to college at k-state but he came home to farm and they showed all over the nation showed those guernseys and we had a grand champion national bowl um and various other prize winners um, over those years, back in the 30s, they, the railroad used to go by, go through um, Ransomville. So mm -hmm. uh, my father and uh, Shorty Hoyt would jump on the train with feed and cattle and truck off to Iowa or Missouri or wherever to show. And so it was quite a time in the 30s. Of course, I, I'm old, but I wasn't around then. <laughs> <laughs> so... Yeah. So this was all just passed on. This uh, was history. that the Guernseys we showed and um, cattle when mm -hmm. I was young and and really the dairy was my favorite. They're such wonderful cows. Um, so that part passed on until the interstate divided the barn from the pasture, and there wasn't a good way to get dairy cattle across the yeah. interstate. So we sold out. My dad sold out in the seventies. So did they force him to sell the like his land for the interstate or? Uh, yeah, that was 
you know, yeah. Um, I don't know, the word left my brain, but yeah, government required yeah. that sale. So then you guys sold that farm. Well, no, we still have the farm. Oh. It just divided okay. the farm and took a strip out of the farm. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay, so then it took the strip out and you guys had to get rid of the dairy. Mm-hmm. Okay, so then what? So they still, all this, for a lot of years since the, probably since my dad started farming back in the 30s, 40s, um, we always had raised beef cattle in addition to the dairy. Okay. So that's when, uh, and he raised Angus. And then my mother, uh, the Washington Rants up at Manhattan had really strong Hereford uh, herd. And mm-hmm. so she um, brought the Hereford into uh, into yeah. the farm. And so then the focus was on crops and Herefords from that time up through uh, today. Yeah. And what kind of crops did you guys do then? Or Oh, pretty much what we do, do now. You know, hay, alfalfa, wheat, corn, mm-hmm. okay. uh, soybeans, but pretty much the same type of thing. Yeah. And how big was the farm back in the 30s before the interstate cut it? Oh, probably about the same as it is now. I mean, the interstate took about 25, 30 acres or maybe more. I, I'm not sure, but it's about 1,000 acres total okay. if you count what my sister and brother officially own Mm -hmm. in addition to what I own. If you put all that back together, it's probably about a thousand acres. What was your role on the farm growing up? Um, I got to play a lot, Uh, (laughs) but I, you know, back in the fifties when I was a little girl and, and the sixties, there was still that kind of females do the housework. Mm -hmm. So I got to haul hay a little bit and I got to show cattle yeah. you know and I helped with the dairy when I could and um uh I drove a tractor when we did certain things or brome seed sacking brome seed that was a horribly itchy job but truly my brothers did much more of the farm work than I did unfortunately because I'm the one that loved it the most but anyway <laughs> which is why I returned home yeah I went away for where'd you go um well, I, I was a teacher, and so I was an educator, and I taught in western Kansas, and then got my doctorate and went to Missouri, and then I came back when my father passed away and to help manage the farm in the mm-hmm. interim. So, yeah. What were, were, what were your accomplishments when you showed? What were my – the cow's accomplishments were <laughs> – you know, we j- – <sighs> I don't, I don't think I had too many champions, personally. Um, I had one cow my last year showing that would have gone to nationals, but in the trailer, she was the only one, and they loaded her in a trailer, and she got injured, and I couldn't take her. So truly, the accomplishment was just the fun of being mm-hmm. in 4-H and showing and, and all of that, yeah. I was going to ask, so you, you did all that in 4-H? Yeah, in 4-H. Okay. Uh-huh. Were you ever involved with uh, FFA? At that time, girl, most of the girls were in FHA, Future Homemakers Association, at that time. And uh, I, we didn't have any girls in FFA when I was in school. I, I don't know. Maybe I would have. I'd like to have been in some ag classes, but I didn't get to be that either. So, <laughs> so were you in the FHA then? I don't think so. Okay. Yeah, I don't remember, but. Now, I did a lot of other things. You know, Williamsburg, I went to Williamsburg, so it was a pretty small school, and uh, we did a lot of, everybody did everything. Yeah. Yeah, you know how it is. What all did you do? Oh, gee. <laughs> 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 yeah. 
yearbook, cheerleading, um, sports. We had a little bit of sports when I was a senior. That was the first comp really competitive year was when I was a senior. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. I can't remember. That was a long time ago. <laughs> okay, so you said you were an educator. Where did you, like, where did you go and teach? I taught out in western Kansas in the far, far southwest corner, Elkhart and Hugoton. Uh, just as far out as you can get, but close to ski country. Yeah, yeah. Did you go and no. ski? Oh, yeah, yeah. It was fun, yeah. Okay, so then why did you go get your Ph.D.? Um, my, I started in home economics, but I was really interested in health and always have been in wellness. And so um, I just wanted to learn more at that time in the 70s, here again, we're talking 50 years ago, mm -hmm. wellness was really coming into being, and I just wanted to learn more and know how to help people more be healthy, uh, make good lifestyle choices, those kinds of things, those kinds of things. And I just, I love school. I love mm -hmm. learning. Um, so that's why. So you said you went to college at K-State. Uh-huh. And then you went and got your PhD. Well, I went to, I've been in many schools, but I went to K-State uh, for my bachelor's. Mm -hmm. My master's was from Emporia uh, in education and then a PhD from New Mexico. So, yeah. Which so, one did you like the most? Well, K-State, of course. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Okay, so after you did get your PhD, what were your plans before you, had, before you moved back to the farm? Oh, I really just wanted to uh, go back to teaching. Okay. Um, and so, but then I shortly after that moved back to the farm. It wasn't too many years, a couple of years, and um, there wasn't a job available. I was health and physical education, and there wasn't a position. So eventually I got into public health. So, yeah. So you got, so you went back to the farm, started taking, helping take care of it again, right? Correct. How many, how many were you? Like, not how many were how you? How many were they? What yeah. of me? Okay. One of me, and we had we had uh, Max Randall, who worked for my father. He was a uh, full time, part time person. He was hired as part time when my dad broke his leg in the nineteen fifties, and he never left. And we were so fortunate. He was a wonderful, wonderful man. So fortunate to have him. So he was still there when I moved home, and he helped. Uh, it did a lot of the work on mm -hmm. the farm. And then event, it wasn't too many years before Bryce's dad moved, you know, got out of yeah. college and moved back to the farm, too. And so then he started doing stuff. And Yeah. And then when did you pass it on? Or are you still working on the farm I now? Yeah, we, we kind of, when my mother passed away, we split the farm. So the Hatfields have a portion of the farm. I have a portion of the farm, and my brother has a portion of the farm. So do you all work together, or is it like they're doing something different than what you're doing? Or? The older I get, the more they're helping me, the Hatfields. <laughs> 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 Thankfully, I'm so thankful Scott has three boys. But <laughs> um, we've pretty much worked separately over the years. Um, my husband, um, Francis Pete, is my husband, and he um, did the crops and uh, rent, rents the ground for the, everybody mm -hmm. in my family. So, um, yeah. So we don't, we're, we're kind of separate, yeah. but I think it's merging a little bit as we get older. So what are your plans? Are you, gonna, are you ever going to just kind of drop out of farming, or are you going to continue? 
like having a small little. I hope to. I hope to have something. Right now, I have forty, about forty, um, cow calf, mm-hmm. beef cattle, and uh, Herefords mostly, little black. Mm-hmm. But uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I think it's time to start moving that. You know, kind of getting mm-hmm. out of that. But I, I don't want to be totally without animals. Yeah. Yeah. The crops I can get out of that. I don't care. But <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, Bryce, so she kept saying something about uh, Herefords and looking at you about it. What's that all about? So when I first started out, like, it was really all my task. I mean, I I would show all the Herefords, and then I was gladly introduced to uh, the Scimitar <laughs> breed, and that was a big that was a big step up in my showing career. Like, I mean, I've, star- I've been showing since... I could hang on to a calf, so I mean. How'd you get introduced to them? I first got introduced to showing from my parents, and my mom showed a lot when she was young, and from, and she kind of helped us out. And my dad knew a couple things because he was on the farm when they still showed at the time, and he would always kind of watch them go, and they would do all that. And so my dad helped me out a lot on the showing when I was really young. I, I mean, I always watched my brothers get up and show, and they were able to show way before I would be able to, and I was always wanting to be out there with them and, and to start my showing career earlier than, I, <laughs> earlier than I should. But I was always out there with them, and it's always been a task to keep keep going on the showing career and like and now once we got out once we like started I mean we started showing with the Herefords and we and once my brother started getting because he first he's got he bought his first show heifer with out raising it we raised most of ours when we first started out showing and he bought his first show heifer, and it was a, it was a, a scimitar heifer, and we still have her to this day. She's she's pushing nine years old now. She's getting up there in age, but I mean, he when he first got that scimitar heifer, I mean we, I I mean I fell in love with the breed, the great people, the Amer- American Scimitar Association is the breed that I'm. Yeah. talking what, about here. What's so special about the American Scimitar? <laughs> the American Scimitar Association is an association that controls the breed, controls the shows, and controls the issues in the breed. I mean, it's it's overall kind of like a association to hold, like help out and like direct so it's kind of like your board of directors, mm-hmm. and they talk about issues. They handle stuff. They handle stuff in the breed, specific breed diseases, yeah. characters, and they make they make huge decisions on whether or what they want to do. And every every breed has one that is a official breed in the United States, and but. The people that the people that introduced me to the breed just have helped us out tremendously, especially in the the show side of the industry, 
and they have been extremely helpful with us and it's truly a blessing honestly do you buy your show cattle or do you raise them now so when we when when we first started out we we raised all of our herefords and we showed what we raised we i mean my very first very first show steer that i raised he was a 1500 pounds 1500 pound uh steer and i named him kitten and he was a at he was a doll and uh it was and that that was the very first show steer i had and it was and he was i don't still don't remember what i did with him i'm sure he got bottom of his class or something like that he was spoiled but um but i truly fell in love with him and we raised him and then we kept going and when we got further along and i started getting more competitive and i wanted to be in the top mm-hmm. end of the classes and and do better in the shows we start we had to kind of start buying some animals to progress our own herds and to be more competitive not saying herefords aren't competitive but it's different they they're they're different. they're different i love the i still love the hereford breed i'll always keep the herefords but they when when you realize they don't always compete in the high end yeah. level of shows without you know emptying your bank accounts or something like that but um they're we st- when but we started buying cattle and we started buying out our to progress our quality of our herd and we'd also find the new top-notch sires to breed to our our new heifers and mm-hmm. to be able to like produce the next show string of our of our the ones we want to show and we we started we started we have my brother and I actually partner on a lot of ours and your which brother Ethan okay. Ethan we we partner on a lot of our heifers and we we share our pasture we have we probably have 30 30 pairs now do you own them with your brother so i i own i own my own heifers in that pen and then he owns his other half of ones but we all but we work together on taking care of them, feeding them, stuff like that. That's, I mean, we do a lot of that stuff together. And we have started to, like, breed them to, like, and I I help them out with the breeding perspective of it because it's it interests me to, like, kind of find the best fit for the heifer. Yeah. And we've just now been able to start raising, start raising our next line of sh- – next line of show stock that we can sell or mm-hmm. show or or even use just to produce higher quality animals in the long run we've we've shown quite we've shown i mean even this past year we've we have two a uh, steer and a heifer that we are going to show this this upcoming year and we feel pretty good about them for raising them i say so those are ones that you raised yes. yourselves yeah. So what have you won in the past with your cattle? Oh, that's... Or what's been the most major accomplishment? Yeah. The most... 
most major accomplishment was I probably have to say it's this this past year. I mean, I took I took uh I took my steer that I had got in November. So I would have had him by then and we showed him all spring and I think I think he would have had probably I think he had three grand champions and two reserve champions and his respected all the shows that he went to oh and uh, I had another I had another steer the year before that ended up winning our county fair and doing pretty good at our at our he also got reserve steer at the Kansas Junior Scimitar which is a show that's hosted just for the Scimitar breed and uh that other, that steer won that, but the steer I showed last year, he he did pretty good. I think we we got fourth at our state fair in that class, and I I felt I felt like it was okay for what he did for what he was. I knew what he was, and I feel like he did okay. Do you think your your new cows, the ones that you you guys raised, are going to do better or about the same? Well, I really hope that the heifer does. Better than one, the ones that we've shown in the past, because that would just that would just make my that would just make make me feel good just for the fact that we've raised her. Yeah. yeah. And she's, I feel like she's got some quality to her that she could be real competitive in the long run. We'll just have to see what happens. Yeah. What do you know? What shows you plan on going to, or is it kind of just you go as they come? So we have we have some show we have some shows that we've shown that. For years, ever since, ever since we first started going out, but there's always new shows popping up. There's always. Where's your favorite show to go to? As of right now, my favorite, one of my favorite shows to go to is the Junior Nationals for Scimitar. That's it's hosted in different various places, and we, and we've gone to it for the past. Four years now. So where's the farthest you've ever traveled for a show? Madison, Wisconsin. That was... And you drive, obviously, right? Yeah. That's that's a... How long was it? It was eight hours and, like, a couple minutes. It was was, (laughs) a long long drive. Okay, so if you're going that far, what are the incentives? Like, what are the rewards? So... Why do you do it? (laughs) That's a great question. We all ask ourselves that same question. <laughs> um, we we like to go to these shows. I mean, I mean, it's not whether if you win or not. I mean, yes, that's a great added bonus. But yeah. sometimes it's, I mean, it's really about the people you meet, the experiences, the the different like different ways they produce their cattle. There's different perspectives that they see their own cattle and I mean there's a there's a lot of differences depending on where you go um I know Wisconsin does things a lot different but they have to have their they have to have a lot of their like time their their time differences are their time difference on breeding and stuff like that is different than what we do here because they don't have quite as much lighter and it's 
it's super fun to experience all that and yeah. the way that you kind of have to it, it's it's just one of those things you really have to experience you have to and if it interests you it you'll your mind will be blown away so when you're traveling long distances for a show um do you like get your animals out because when we're hauling we get our horses out and walk them around so they can they won't get stiff like what do you do do you just go all the way or so it just depends um i know when we went up to madison we when we went up to madison that's an eight hour it's an eight hour drive so it's it takes a toll on them i know that we uh it also depends on how many you have in the trailer too how much i mean you have to pack a lot of stuff for a week-long uh trip and you have to leave early enough and and it's just what we it's just whether you want to like if you want to do things differently like that's if you want to do it differently you can do that but like what we do personally is we we like to actually just let them loosen the trailer at that point if it's that long of a drive Mm -hmm. eight hours is a long time for a calf to be standing and they get very cranky especially if you leave them tied up high but um a lot of times they'll just lay down the trailer and they'll usually be fine um i know some people that will that will break up their trips in days and they'll leave a couple days early that way they can stop Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like and i know a lot of people that will take their animals to like They'll find local county fairgrounds and stuff like that. Yeah. Stop, let them run around the ring for 30 <laughs> minutes or so, and then keep going. I, I've met a whole bunch of people that do that, especially uh, when we went to um, – oh, where was it? I think it, it? I think it was Grand Island, Nebraska – we went to Grand Island. There were these people from California. They say they they said they stopped in Colorado. They stopped at the base of Colorado to let them run around and like get loose, and then they drove up the mountains and all that. I that is really cool to talk to those people. They they knew a lot. <laughs> to, they knew a lot about traveling with the animals, especially through some of those different altitudes and stuff like that. That can really really mess with. Yeah, will it affect like their showing ability if, if yeah, especially if they were were to get sick at that point, but yeah. So, I know I know it takes a toll on the cows. Do you guys give them like a day or so when you get there to kind of relax or what? Um, usually the first most most long shows, especially if it's a national show, they'll have a day set up before that you can come in early, come in the day before, and then they can those cattle can rest that whole day, and then there's not a show till a couple of days after. And it, it's usually okay with most of them. I know that there's some shows that are a little bit longer that they'll, they'll have cattle come up, and they'll be fine the day before. And, I mean, yeah. it just depends. Okay. Could you take us through a typical uh, a trip to, say, the juniors, whatever, 
Semitaw, yeah. Could you take us through a, a typical trip there? Like, what do you have to do to get ready? What do you have to do? Yeah, like, like packing, yeah. and then once you get there, the... Yeah, the care for the cow, all that. All yeah, that. like fitting and... So, a typical, let's just say, uh, we'll have nationals. We'll have junior nationals in Tulsa this year. So, a typical start of the week, we'll, be, we'll prepare... Oh, let's say I would I would I'm a procrastinator so it probably wouldn't happen till the week before but we'll try to like get two weeks before and we'll have the trailer packed already um, we'll go fit calves get them clipped up make them look nice and then we'll head down to the show and we'll set up the stall usually we'll leave calves in the t- in the tie outs and the in their bedding and let them chill out there for a while unless it's hot then we'll put them in the barn earlier but um once we get them set into place there's usually a couple days where they can relax and settle into the new environment settle to the new water make sure they're eating okay um uh, and then the for the day of the show We'll usually get them get them up at the same time they normally get up because cattle are very routined. They mm-hmm. have to they have to stay on a routine, and if they don't, they can usually mess with their feeding, their drinking, and stuff like that. So we'll keep them in in their routine. We'll and we'll make sure we wash them every day and get them cleaned up. And especially at a show, it it's kind of a pet peeve if you have dirty animals sitting in your stalls and it just yeah it's not the most admiring. Um, with, with the show day start, we usually like to get them fed. Um, we usually get them fed way before the show. Mm -hmm. And there's usually a time period where we like to time up them feeding before they go into the ring. I mean, every show's different because every judge can go to a different speed. They can judge them differently. They can... And some shows will take breaks. It it's usually you kind of have to play the game to be able to let's say like get them ready for the show. And especially if you have to fit before the show, because most people will have teams of will have crews that'll come in and fit the animal to their to the spec yeah. and make them look complete. And then you also have to make sure the calf has already eaten this drink and it has gotten all that stuff before you start to fit because most of the time after they're kind of irritated after having to stand there for a while and having, mm-hmm. let's say, five or six people working on the same calf. I mean, it gets – sometimes if it's a nervous calf, they get a little irritated. They're not as comfortable with it. But most of our calves, we like to – we'll have them – already fit like fit up before so that way they're used to it before the day of the show and it just yeah it's a huge it's a huge task to get them ready for the show and it's but it's still probably one of my favorite parts is getting calves ready for the show and making them look good before they have to go in the ring and then once once you get them through the ring and they're placed and then you get them back out. The biggest thing is is like getting all the glue and stuff out of their hair and like 
let them letting them decompress and kind of chill out because especially with huge shows like you'll see like some shows that are there's 1200 animals there and another 600 700 people there they get really stressed stressed out and you just a lot of a lot of times you just kind of have to take them through a it's a kind of a process with every animal that you have to really keep them calm and and still not like still not make them so they can mess up their roof uh-huh. as well. So do you have the same people fitting your cattle every time or is it different usually? Well, it just depends. I mean, some people can't make it to the shows. Some people can. It just, it's one of those things where it it's up in the air who comes and fits for your, for you. I'm a very particular person, and I like to try to do it all myself, even though that doesn't work sometimes, even though that's uh, not what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to, it's better to have a lot more people. Yeah, to then try to do it all yourself because then it can really get tough, stressful, and tough to get them into the ring on mm-hmm. time when you have the mother. Four feet to do. Yeah, four feet to do, top to do, tailhead to do, belly to do. Yeah, it gets a little uh, stressful, especially when you have your parents yelling at you. You're in the next class. Get up to the ring. Yeah, that's normal. Okay, that sounds like a lot of work. Like, that sounds like a lot. You said it's really stressful and everything. I know you said it's all about meeting the people. But why? Um, it might just be my competitive nature to... Um, yeah, but you could pick up marble racing if, if you're competitive. I mean, <laughs> there's, there's a lot cheaper, there's a lot easier, there's a lot less stressful things that you can do other than showing cattle. So why do you do it? Like a generational thing or... It it's just kind of been what it's it's honestly just been in my blood. Like I I've always loved to do it. I watched countless of people show and especially especially early on when I was sitting ringside yeah. and had to watch everybody show. It it honestly bothers you a little bit and um being able to show it's one of those things especially if you really get to love the the ability to do it, mm-hmm. the, I mean, the it's, whole. it's, it's truly an experience to be in the show industry and it, it makes a, it makes a big impact in my life when I do it. And I know, I know most people do it for the banners, do it for the stuff. But, I mean, meeting the people and having the experience and the responsibility of the animal, the the like the routine of the mm-hmm. animal, keeping them consistent, it, it's challenging, but it provides you a, a purpose. And, yeah. and it, it's really, a truly a good experience. So do you guys farm as well, or do you just focus on showing? So we have... Uh, we probably have close to 80, 80, 80 Hereford pairs of spring and fall. I think that's calves. what your dad said. 
80 pairs of spring and fall calves. Um, we do a lot of the ranching part of it and and take care of the animals, take care of the stuff that, like that, the hay crop, the, and we'll do all that. And we usually let her husband do the the, the row crop, the all that stuff, and and he usually takes care of that for my dad's mom, and he does he does all the all the crop farming. I mean, I'm sure I'm gonna be forced into helping doing that one of these days, but I honestly I wouldn't mind taking on the crop stuff too. But the ranching part is the is my favorite part of the thing. I mean, taking care of the calves, getting them getting them through the shoots. That's that's just part of it. So do you think that's what you will do when you after you get out of high school, go to college? Do you want to go to college? Yeah, I do want to go to college. I I would like to be uh I'd like to go livestock judge at collegiate level and then where? I have a couple schools in mind. I still haven't figured that one out yet. Like but, what? Like what schools? Um, Butler Community College is one of them. Uh, then there's Redlands out in El Reno, Kansas. That's or El Reno, Oklahoma, and that's a that. Those two are my big decision making ones right there. And I'm I know I'm gonna go JUCO first just to kind of ease myself into college and then that way I can also judge all four years of college and okay so how long have you been livestock judging for then oh that's a I think I've been livestock judging ever since probably I could start showing probably seven which one do you like more showing or the judging side oh I like them equally. I can't. I can't decide whether, but I do like. I do like the showing and judging aspects of them, and they honestly will correlate a lot. Yeah. And they doing both of them allows you to see what's good. See what's good. See what's not as good. See the problems mm-hmm. and what. What animal? Sorry. Go ahead. It allows you to decide what. What's the best option for the herd, and what's what helps? So, do you just ju- judge cattle then, or? So, in judging, you judge all breeds. Oh yeah, you'll judge. You'll judge all. You can judge anything in college. You can uh-huh. judge like dairy, meats, livestock. You can judge wool if you that tickles your heart, but I'd rather <laughs> not. <laughs> Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, so what what do you want to what do you want to judge then? Just livestock. I I'd, I'd like to judge livestock because judging livestock is something that I I have a passion for, and and I I like to I like to being able to sort the difference on what what the animal is what the animal isn't and decide which one is the better option for the long run and. Especially with judging heifers, I mean that's what some that's something that I do in my own herd. And when I go out and feed hay, I mean I'm always looking at what's yeah what what looks good and what what doesn't, and it it makes a 
it makes a big opportunity as well. Judging livestock and judging in the judging industry allows you to allows allows for a lot of growth in the industry. Um, you can go judge shows. I mean, even some of these big national shows, you can go do all that if you if you are allowed to if you if you're at that level and you can really sort them. I mean, you'll get recruited in to judge a lot of shows. Um, and judging livestock is a huge opportunity, and it really helps out you in the long run, whether you go into the ag industry or not. Um, judging allows you to think on your feet a lot more. It allows you to progress your speaking abilities and keeps you... It, it provides a lot of life skills that some people may or may not have. Yeah. Well, what's the biggest things that you've gained from it? Being able to talk in front of crowds. And it really allows, like, I know a lot I know a lot of people have the fear of talking in front of people, coming up with stuff on the on the mm-hmm. on the fly. I mean, it really allows you to progress yourself and and express yourself in the manner that you would like, and it allows you to sound good when you speak. Um, it also it also provides a lot of skill back into the cattle industry mm-hmm. as you look at your own animals, and I mean, it allows you to kick out the ones that don't look good yeah. and keep the ones that look good. Okay, so if you do go off to wherever that college in uh, in Oklahoma, who's going to be taking care of your your cattle then? That might be a great question. <laughs> it might it might be a uh, a lot of my family and a lot of um, them to support me through all this. And um, I know my dad is fully supportive of me going to college, and he. Is skeptical about taking care of my animals because I'll probably still be picky on it and and uh, make sure he does everything right. But the goal is to have uh, have the ability to finish my show career, especially if I do to go to college. Because I mean, it's October and I, your show industry doesn't end till. I mean, show industry doesn't end. It it goes all around all year round. Yeah. Like there's a. I still have I still have a steer that I'm gonna show at the Cattlemen's Congress this in January. I mean, if say I do that again and he's, I mean I'll have a steer for, until for what three four months of mm-hmm. in college. Yeah, it's a lot of it's gonna be it's gonna be something that'll be sorted out in the long run, but the goal is to to finish the show career, but also still judge collegiately mm-hmm. which is still a lot of work what's like the showing age limit like when are you done so they allow the for the junior level they allow you to be 18 as of as of january 1st so say say you were born so say you were born in 2005 and you you're born in 2005 and you are you are able to show till you're 18 but if you're born in 2006 
but you're in the 2005 age class, you can show technically till you're 19 in the junior level. But it's still it's still a huge thing and I mean you can still show until you're you can show till you're 40 if you would like to. I mean, there's plenty of shows that have open options. There's plenty of shows where you can I mean, I've seen some guys walk out with bulls that are 60 years old. I mean, they if you truly want to keep going, there's plenty of shows for you to judge or show your whole yeah. life if you if you want, want to. to. When are you going to stop judging or showing after high school or are you going to stop before? I don't I don't know. I pro I might stop showing after after I'm probably 21 cuz 21 is the age limit for um the Canisteran Cemetery Association cuz you're able to show until you're 21 after or you're able to show until you're 21 for the national shows and they and that's what they'll allow. Um, so how are you how are you going to keep your cattle like fit the way you want? When you're off at college, because obviously you can't take them, right? Well, I know of some places that will allow you to take your animals to college with you and allow you to keep them close, and you can watch over them and take care of them and stuff like that. But it's a big deal to like kind of ask for help and see what's around that you can keep your animals in a different place. I mean, that's a great way why you ha- and why you make friends. <clears throat> and and I just have to say, give credit to your dad. Because oh, yeah. he, he loves showing also, and he loves what you're doing. So Scott is really a big help, and I'm sure he'll help you in the future. He, he enjoys watching me show, so he is very adamant on keeping me down the straight path of showing so okay so what are you gonna what are you gonna major in though at college i mean you're gonna go hopefully on a scholarship for judging but what are you gonna get so the big i've i've honestly thought about it quite a bit but i i've always wanted to be a vet when i get older veterinarian Mm -hmm. and so i'd probably go to college to be a go and major in veterinary science and that would probably be my major but you just you just gotta find out and yeah i'll see what fits me in the long run so would the end goal be k-state or it's a, i mean a, i know it's not ku but that's a big question it's a big question okay Maybe in a couple of years we'll find that one out. Well, maybe we will. <laughs> <laughs> so then, after you get after you get out of college, maybe being a vet, maybe not, you take over the family farm. That's so. That's that's the end goal, is to come back to the family farm with my brothers and I, and it would be a huge opportunity to to keep the farm going and in terms of as a family farm, especially since it's been in the family for years and years, it would, 
honestly kind of break my heart if we ended up losing it. But um, so the, the the huge goal is to have my brothers and I come back and run the whole farm and and keep keep it going for many more years to yeah. come. And I'd like to I'd like to come back from college and raise finish keep raising livestock to a competitive level and sell to local 4-Hers to keep 4-Hers and FFA kids to keep keep them showing and keep the industry alive and and that perspective it's a huge it's a huge task to follow but i think it's one that it would be worth to keep going on and i know my and i know my brothers want to stay close and help out a lot so well since we're about a week from thanksgiving we have this little thing that we wanted to talk about um, what are your top three things that you're thankful for? Oh, or what no. are yours? <laughs> we can say ours while you're yeah. thinking about it. You guys ponder on that for a second. <laughs> uh, my top three would most definitely be the fountain pen, um, toe socks, and sugar-free Gatorade by far. Mine are basic, but they're truly the things I'm thankful for. So my friends and my family, obviously, and then my horses that I have, so. I was trying to stay away from the basic. So I said food, because obviously, junk drawers, because they're very handy, and my family. So, do you guys? I wish I were as clever as you all are. <laughs> but, you know, I'm, I'm very thankful for the heritage that my family has and, ha- and continues to have on the farm and, and the history we share. It's huge for binding family to have that in our, um, in our life. And so that's one thing I, I'm very thankful to, for the opportunities that farming has provided for my learning and for my, uh, for my life and peace and all of that. And I'm thankful for Bryce because he comes <laughs> over and helps me with some of the chores I can't any do anymore by myself. Well, I think those are pretty three, three pretty good ones right there. What about you, Rice? Oh, I'm probably I'm I'm extremely thankful for my family and and how much they help me out. My parents and my brothers they they all pitch in whenever it's needed and whenever whenever I've been in need of help and it's ex, it's just extremely welcoming to have supportive family with everything I do and as many tasks and as busy busy as I can be. I mean, uh, constantly going places, and it's it's helpful. Um, I'm extremely thankful for all of the opportunities I've been given um, and how much I've been pushed to do things. And whenever I put my mind to something, it... I've always been pushed through to complete it through, and it's 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 good for that. Yeah, and I'm also I'm also thankful for uh, all my cattle. They bring me joy in my life. Top notch, top notch. All right, you guys have heard our top three things that we're thankful for. Could you leave in the comments what you're thankful for this holiday season, Bryce? Mrs. Ransom, it's awesome. Thank you guys so much for being on here tonight, today, whatever. Um, it's been an honor to listen to and to hear you guys' story and your your heritage. 
and Bryce to hear your guys' plans. Thank you so much for joining us. Please enjoy this next week as we're going to be taking it off so we can enjoy it with our family and friends and maybe even our horses. Thank you so much. I'm Eric with Hayden, Sierra, Bryce, and Mrs. Ransom. I wanted to be a farmer. I wanted to get away from the rat race of the city. We represent the best in America. Our farmers and ranchers have always honored and lived with the values and traditions that make America great. Faith, family, neighbors helping neighbors, hard work, free enterprise, and independence. We can touch the spirit of America in our farm communities. And again, much is owed to the future farmers of America. God said I need somebody willing to get up before dawn, milk cows, work all day in the fields, milk cows again, eat supper, then go to town and stay past midnight at a meeting of the school board. So God made a farmer. FFA is giving more than a fine start to young people like yourselves by cultivating and Traditional values, leadership skills, and patriotism, the future farmers of America ensure the strength and vitality of our country.